Good morning to all our Crux Investor fans. Um, we are doing a little podcast this morning with a London fund called Arlington, and that's headed up by Simon Cat, who's at the end of the phone. How are you, Simon? Good morning, Matt. What a pleasure to speak on this fine Friday morning. It is. You're wandering around the countryside outside of London. Oh, yes. In the safe yeah, no. I'm safely uh, unlocked, walking, uh, roaming in Surrey. Do the police know? <laughs> well, I think we're so remote that they, they don't even know that there's a, a few people here walking unrestrained around the gardens. So um, we're yeah. staying here until the nonsense comes down. So wait, you're, you're sort of somewhere down near Amersham at the moment, is that right? No, uh, Amersham is west, I believe. I'm, I'm near, I mean, near Albury, which is near Guildford in Surrey. Ah, uh, so what, what is that from London, sort of south? Uh, we are... South and I want to say even a little bit east. Um, so um, you get on the train from Waterloo and it takes um, half an hour to get to Guildford, and then you get in the car for about nine miles to drive east from Guildford Station. If you offend anyone on this call, they know where you live now. So that's... <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, exactly. So um, you're you've taken the family out of London to uh, get a little bit of sunshine, a bit of fresh air. That's right. We um, we took a view last Thursday that with lockdown pending, we would get out before they people told us where we couldn't, couldn't go on a daily basis. So, yeah. um, so uh, what a beautiful spring weather is beckoning. Hey, cool. blasting all this Corona nineteen away. Well, well, I don't know about that. I think I think some pretty distressing messages coming out of London. But yeah, I, I agree with you. We we are holed up here outside of um, London, the country too. Honestly. I wandered around the garden this morning, collected a few eggs, so I made myself a quite nice breakfast, actually. Oh, fresh eggs, beautiful. Fresh herbs, a bit of bread, can't go wrong. Can't go wrong. Lovely. Well, yeah, I did actually, um, getting into the country spirit of things, normally living in busy cities, I did go foraging for nettles uh, a few days ago, and I um, made a kick-ass nettle vegetable soup, if you need the recipe. Well, that, that 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 sounds very old school. That uh, <laughs> delicious, right? Okay, and, and and if it sounds that bad, it, it's got to be good for you. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it tastes much better than they they um, feel when you brush them on your legs while you're mountain biking through the countryside. Right. And I guess we're in North America. I'm not, I'm not sure if people in North America know what nettles are, but they're sort of they're sort of weed which sting you, and the, the sting stays for a few hours, and sort of. Okay, part, part, part of growing up was to at least um, get stung a couple of times a day while you're playing football or whatever it was you were doing out in the back garden. And the strange thing is when you eat them inside a soup is you feel the sting inside your tummy. So it feels a bit distended, but apparently it's got lots of anti-inflammatory, anti-cancer um, goodies in it. Uh, and um, it tastes really nice. It tastes like sweet ginger. Oh. I'm sure. I'm sure there's going to be a tablet for that, which yeah, that's involved. But anyway, so we we know each other from London. You you run a fund called Arlington. Why don't you give us a sort of little um, overview of what what Arlington's focus is, just and then we can sort of maybe help people understand a little bit more about the world of institutional investing in London. Sure, Matt. Uh, pleasure. Um, so briefly, so I was up to bore the rubbish out of everybody. Um, Arlington is uh, it's a small little boutique advisory firm and, invest and uh, merchant bank, which means that we focus on 
five or 10 or 15 of our favorite companies um, that might span industries from mining to, um, to finance to, to electric bikes to um, remote sensing technologies, companies that we like the, the people and the, um, the technology or the business uh, and the valuation at which we can get involved and then use some of our money and sometimes other people's money um, and, um, and give them some financial advice and, um, and some capital. And hopefully that helps make the business more valuable. We stay really focused. We're a small team. We have an office on Piccadilly right opposite Fort Mason where the, um, every quarter of an hour, the clock's changing, drives us crazy. But, um, um, we, uh, on Piccadilly and, um, we're focused on a small number of companies and, uh, we care mostly as a principal investing in these small number of businesses and staying really close to them and, you know, every other day speaking to management teams, et cetera, um, giving them capital and advice to help the businesses grow bigger and better. See, that's, that's quite interesting. The, again, you have so much access to the management team. And if you say, see them or spot them doing something which you disagree with, you, it's easy for you to kind of jump in with both boots and go, uh, no, thank you, or perhaps, let's think about a different way of doing this but you know for for our audience which is you know 30,000 or re- retail investors or family offices and um, high net worths they don't have that opportunity so you know, you're at a slight advantage there in, if, in many ways sort of being able to see and spot what the company's doing right or wrong but um very very early to, i mean what, what are the sorts of things that you help to focus on um, well, speaking as a West Australian, um, I grew up around the dinner table in West Australia, Perth actually, um, which is the, uh, the, the regional capital of, of West Australia. Um, Western Australia is uh, about half the country. Um, it's a big country. Up in the north, lots of iron ore. In the middle, there's lots of gold and there's all kinds of other minerals sprinkled around. So at the dinner table, we used to hear mum and dad talk about the latest lithium discovery. We used to hear them talk about the latest nickel discovery, the famous Poseidon boom when Poseidon nickel went from 20 cents to 200 and something dollars a share. Um, so in the DNA of every, every West Australian is, uh, is a mining punter. So um, I, uh, I once had a run in with my compliance guys at RBC who refused to accept that I could possibly be talking to my mother about punting on junior junior west australian uh, nickel explorers which was absolutely the case um but um so mining is something that we we happen to know something about and have been investing in and um thinking about and 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 knowing about for most of my adult life i'm 49 this year i was telling my wife that yesterday she didn't know that apparently um is that, and that's, is that because you look so young and, and gorgeous in her eyes? <laughs> well, I, I, well, luckily she um, she's a little bit younger than me, so she worked out that our forties and fifties would be nearest enough in the same year, which is next year, and we could do that in one place. This year, unfortunately, because she's Italian from uh, from Venice, is uh, her birthday celebrations this year have been cancelled. So we're thinking about rescheduling next year. So, um, yeah, she doesn't pay very much attention. When I, when I met her, she asked what I did. I said, well, I'm a salesman, the same as you, because she's 
sells wholesale fashion for Ralph Lauren. Um, and um, I just didn't bother to give her any of the nuances. But um, yeah, she um, she doesn't bother with the detail. She's just trying not to upset you. <laughs> and for people who people at home, this it's it's safe to say Simon's got a face for radio. He, he's a that's why we choose the video off option for this call that's <laughs> no, not true so Simon is, is a gorgeous individual he um, takes his fitness very seriously he puts the rest of us to shame it's, it's, it's quite embarrassing actually anyway so I, we, we, we segued there so, um, so tell, tell, us, tell us a bit more about you know, what it is that you're looking for in these, these companies you know, I, I had to listen to what about that I was unfortunate enough to listen to an, um, an American promoter this morning because everyone's taking to video these days to, to share their knowledge given that conferences are off for the foreseeable future. And he spent 10 minutes telling me that management is quite an important component, which obviously not being used, but assuming you agree with that, what precisely do you need to see for management team before you get that money? It's a very direct question. Um, why, why don't we stick with the, um, the, the mining theme for the time being, just to stay focused on an industry which we know something about. Um, we, we normally say you start with the asset, um, and uh, it has to be a decent asset. The, the mining industry uh, has, in the wake of the BRIEC scandal, um, which was a, a, fraud, a fraudulent um, gold pump dump um, some 15, 20 years ago, there was some strict reporting requirements introduced for mining companies. Uh, and there's a code in, uh, in Canada, it's known as 43101 as the, some of the technical reports are, are required. And then in Australia, you have the Jork mining code. Um, so that is that there are experts required to define the, uh, and, and the way that they define the valuable mineral normally in the ground, um, normally not being produced. Um, so you start with the technical report, e.g. the asset. Um, from looking at those technical reports and, and understanding what makes an economic ore body, um, we've been doing that all of our lives, so we can quickly tell whether the ore body is valuable. Sometimes it's not valuable at the current commodity price, but then again, if we looked at a palladium ore body 10 years ago when the price was was two or three hundred dollars an ounce we would never have thought that the palladium price would be two thousand dollars an ounce in 2020 mm. so sometimes you um you make an assessment that the commodity price will, will go up um so you start with the asset um then you uh, most importantly want to think that the management team is sensible and know what they're doing ideally they're going to own some shares in the company or the asset that they're promoting to you so that there's alignment of interest and then the last one is, uh, is valuation and what price can I buy into this company that align my interest with this management team. Um, so um, asset management valuation, those are the, the three starting points. And at least 19 out of 20 of the, uh, of the companies that walk through our door or hit our inbox don't tick one or more of those boxes. So we, uh, we strike them off um, at the first screening. And you, but you've got a reasonably technical team there. So I'm, I'm just trying to make, you know, put this as layman's terms for you know, our listeners. Um, you know, how do I identify the sort of red, red flags in life? You know, you know, whether it be broadly or, or otherwise. Okay, okay. So you, you, you mentioned those three things, but 
surely initially I don't know. I don't know what your 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 um, investing thesis is. You know, do you have to have a commodity thesis before you leave the company? Or is it a case of anyone who picks up the phone and, and uh, gets through the door is is worth a listen? And, and well, areas of expertise. Well, um, you can. There's a couple of couple of red flags, which mean that they don't, they don't get don't get through the front door. Um, we we have a no dickhead rule on the front, which is sort of not actually written, but there, no, uh, we have to like the people. That's the first rule. Um, right. There was a, a time in the early 2000s when all of the, um, the mining companies from Canada in particular were converting to being internet companies. So <laughs> if, they've, uh, if they've changed, if they've changed horse mid-race, mid, mid then, uh, then that's another clue that you probably don't want to be speaking with them. Um, Double-barrel double surnames and silk handkerchiefs in the top pockets are, are red flags. Um, be very careful. <laughs> <laughs> no old school tie for you okay <laughs> you know we're um, aussie prejudice i think right we're a bit yeah it's probably is a bit of aussie prejudice we're very egalitarian uh, having said that my business partner is a um as a 40 something year old englishman who went to Eton and does have a double, double barrel surname so i guess i'm a hypocrite but um, very difficult on a daily basis actually we interviewed um Chad Williams, the Red Cloud Security CEO, founder and CEO last week, and he, he said something pretty similar where he said, I can tell within 15 seconds whether I'm going to invest in someone because if I don't like the way they're dressed, I'm not investing. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and also, you know, of, of us all, we have these basic prejudices. Yeah, no, it's very human, which is why we all like to do face-to-face -face meetings and, uh, and, and video content. Uh, as well as um, as well as voice. Um, so um, back to your question, um, how do we assess things? Well, yes, we've got all of our human prejudices, which helps us to quickly um, cut out most of the garbage. Um, we do have some technical skills, but actually, you know what? The most important thing is um, is just a network of of uh, of people that you know of experience, so that. If somebody walks in and said, I've got the greatest new gold discovery in Uzbekistan or British Columbia or Ecuador, then I can pick up the phone to somebody that I know and either they'll know or they'll know somebody that does know whether that person is full of it or whether that, that asset, that drill hole uh, is, is what the, the person claims it to be. Mm -hmm. So we don't have necessarily all that technical exp expertise in-house, but we do know a lot of people that can provide us with that, whatever the industry group is. That's, that's kind of the advantage of, on the institutional side is you can sort of plug into a network. Whereas I think, you know, again, retail, they're chat, you know, chatting to people in chat rooms, but not everyone in chat rooms, believe me, is capable of making assessments, but oh boy, do they have an opinion. And it's, I guess, having the, the difficulty of sifting out the wheat from the chaff or the, you know, who's, who's of you know full of it uh, versus who's knowledgeable because again yeah. in that environment the knowledgeable people aren't necessarily going to want to engage with you know people who are a little bit more um let's go with passionate without necessarily being knowledgeable uh, yeah it's, it's and you and our prejudices stop us from uh, from finding winners you know on the one hand if somebody's blown investors up um, half a dozen times in the past and they come in with the actual good one, maybe your prejudice and that baggage will mean that you miss it. I mean, 
I missed Andrew Forrest, uh, now one of Australia's richest people. I missed his his most successful creation, which is Fortescue Mining, um, now one of the world's top four iron ore producers, because his previous outing was a disaster for shareholders. It was called Anaconda Nickel that ultimately became known as Monara and, and a part of the Glencore Nickel business. But if you if you met Andrew across the meeting room, he was wonderfully charismatic uh, and very persuasive, but not very much of what he said actually turned out to be true with regards to his his previous endeavours until he, he turned out to be promoting um, some iron ore assets at the very start of what turned out to be the industrialization of China and iron ore prices went from 30 to 150. So, so yeah, your prejudices come in, you miss the good ones as well. Yeah, but I think on on balance, it, it, it's probably no no bad thing. You know, you you will miss some, but you will also not lose quite a lot because I, I've got to admire these salesmen, these tenacious, relentless salesmen who are just trying, knocking on every door, and they'll sell anything whether they believe in it or not. You mm. admire that component to them, but at the same time, most of them, most of them. Who have, who have failed will continue to fail. For sure. Continue to fill their own pockets. Um, well, managed to achieve that. But they they are self interested lifestyle um, people, and they it's not about get you know in, in the case of mining getting into into production or creating value. It's 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 about you know filling lining their own pockets or the hope of lining their own pockets. So. You know, I'm, 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 I, I urge people to be a little bit more cautious or at least be very clear about um, putting, you know, a number on it. You know, what, if, can they afford to lose this money? Um, can they afford to miss the opportunity? And, you know, invariably the answer is yes. But the worst thing is status quo. You, you stay as you were. You may miss out on, you know, something. But, you know, there's not too many people have the story of, I invested in, you know, Twitter or Facebook or Google or whatever, whatever the big, big things or Fortescue you mentioned. Yeah. Most of us uh, don't get that opportunity. I think it's unrealistic. I don't mind missing a few. So. Yeah, no, I agree. It's um, as, as Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger would say, um, sometimes doing nothing is the hardest thing to do. And it's about the ones you miss. The losses that you don't make, as well as the ones that you uh, you get right. Yeah, yeah. Those ones people talk about. They, they don't talk about the ones that they uh, they got wrong, or they were right not to choose. Essentially, correct. Very, very, very interesting. So, what's keeping you busy these days? I mean, what what, what are you excited about? Because um, I know, obviously, we've got we've got a, a, a friend in um, which is Salazar. We've got this this little gold. Uh, play in South America is that is that uh, is that a big part of your portfolio or you know um, yeah okay let's talk about uh, let's do, well, let's well firstly we'll talk about Salazar but why don't we firstly pause Matt on gold perhaps because if you ask the question what's keeping me busy the first thing that flashed into my head mm. is gold and not just because I've got this sort of DNA susceptibility for gold mm. as a West but but because these days whenever a friend or a colleague or a or an, an investor rings me up and says hey what do you like 
they want to know about what our favorite gold ideas are. Um, and and we, we've spent some time recently at Arlington going back over, um, over what happened to gold last time we had a crisis, which was, of course, the global financial crisis in 2008 or 2009. Mm-hmm. And we've had a look at the performance of gold as compared to the Dow Jones Industrial Asset, uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, I should say, and other financial assets, um, to try and understand where we are um, using that as a roadmap. And our, our view is that, um, is that the debasement of sovereign currencies, the scale of quantitative easing um, and monetary debasement this time around, as compared to the global financial crisis, We'll make that look like uh, Alice in Wonderland. Um, the and the implications potentially for an explosive move in gold are, are profound. Um, for example, the um, look at the scale of the quantitative easing by the Federal Reserve back in two thousand eight nine. Um, I ha- happen to have these statistics in my head because I was editing and uh, reviewing them last night. Um, so. Lehman Brothers went bust September the 15th, 2008. Some two weeks later, uh, October the 3rd, the Troubled Asset Relief Program, or TARP, was passed by Congress, signed into law by George W. Bush. Um, And then, so so we're we're there for two weeks after September the 15th, early October, QE starts. QE then is $600 billion, although... They didn't actually use all of that, um, but the, the amount that Congress approved was $600 billion. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on November the 25th, so a further month and a half or so later, um, the Fed started quantitative easing, and it was buying at the time $700 billion of securities. That was treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. Recall that the last global financial crisis was caused by too much cheap debt being provided for dodgy home loans. Uh, and so what the, the Fed was dealing with at that time was not the coronavirus, but was was cheap home loans and propping up the mortgage securities market in particular. So you had the Troubled Asset Relief Program and you had QE. Uh, and then in December of that same year, 2008, the Fed didn't actually cut rates to zero. They'd averaged about 6% during 2008. Didn't actually cut rates into, to zero until December the 16th in time for Christmas. So you had a period of time there starting Lehman Brothers goes down September the 15th, it had two or three months um, of extended uh, rescuing stimulus and quantitative easing by the Federal Reserve and, and the US government. Look at what's happened this time. Um, in, in less than a month, we've had the fastest bear market in history. Um, we've seen the Dow Jones Industrial Average fall from peak to trough in the last few weeks by about 40%, the S&P by about a third. Um, and we've seen the Fed cut rates to zero, but this time from only 2% um, within two weeks. Uh, and we've seen unlimited QE. So at, at the moment, the Fed is expanding its balance sheet by over $500 billion a week, mm. which is 10 times the pace at which it was expanding its balance sheet back during the global financial crisis, 10 times. So mm. we've all read statistics that the um, that the the world economy is stacked up on more debt than then, but the scale of this monetary debasement is unprecedented. So um, 
I can tell you from personally going down to Sharps Pixley, the um, the UK or the St. James-based precious metals dealer, uh, when I went the end of last week, just before lockdown, was it was pretty busy. They'd sold out of uh, Britannia gold coins. Um, they'd sold out of silver coins. They were hoping for a delivery. The staff was, was uh, impacted by C-19 themselves. And... Um, and they had a few sovereigns. So the bog roll of a, uh, of a financial crisis, they had a few of those left that you could buy. Um, but um, I think people are reacting um, with an asset with which they feel comfort and they can read that, that all of this printing of sovereign currencies is probably not good for long-term values of the, uh, the bits of paper that they might have in their pockets. But what's that tell you about what you, the opportunities are for you? I mean, or is it a case of, as we just said, just sit back and do nothing, see how this settles? Because we're getting so many conflicting, I mean, from institutionally, we're getting analysts from different companies giving us different advice because they're, they're interpreting these things, especially around mining, I mean, very, very differently. You know, not, not wildly, but they're sitting on opposite sides of the, of the table for sure. Um, as they try and make a bet. What's your bet? Well, again, using the, the global financial crisis, the GFC as a roadmap, we, we could observe that in the first stage of the crisis, and we think we're, we're, just, um, we're currently just ending the first stage of the crisis now, the corona crisis, uh, is we see a, a liquidation of all assets. Um, hence, you see an unlimited QE proposed by uh, both the Fed and by the European Central Bank, the ECB, um, everything gets sold for cash. And so if we could go back in time, I wish I could, and then remind myself that we all knew that the world's longest ever equitable market was coming to an end at, it's at last year and, and early this year, then we'd all own lots of US dollars and be waiting for the opportunity of the, the bargains of, of decade that would come with a, a, a big market sell-off, which of course has occurred in the last few weeks. So. What do you do? Well, I, I think you, if you're sensible, you don't spend all your cash now. Um, you could have, you could have, if you'd been um, uh, really quick, you could have bought Boeing, the world's biggest and best maker of aircraft, a few weeks ago and then doubled your money um, when they were effectively bailed out by the US government um, just in the last month alone. So, the most obvious thing to do, and this advice I was giving to my darling wife recently, um, is to buy those really big, serious companies at, at fire sale prices because they only go on sale once every 10 or 20 years and we've had that wonderful sale here in the last few weeks. Mm. And, and of course, they've, um, they've, they've bounced a little bit as well in the last week. Um, as regards specifically gold, um, yeah, the, the world's biggest gold company by market capitalization, Barrick, that was down 15% from its high, maybe 20 at, at the lows. Um, gold itself did, did get sold off from about 1700 to, um, to uh, just under $1,500 an ounce. So that's part of the general liquidation. But what we look for, Matt, to specifically answer your question uh, as to what investors should be doing is we look for companies with, um, with strong balance sheets um, that can deal with uh, a potential capital starvation 
for a period of time. So they don't need lots of equity capital to keep going because the equity capital markets are substantially closed, particularly for small companies for the time being. Um, and ideally a source of cash flow so that they, um, so that they, um, they can keep going, whatever happens. And of course, the other things which you mentioned earlier, alignment of interest with management and, um, uh, and hopefully some decent assets. Um, so you mentioned Salazar. Um, yeah, let's talk about that for a minute. Um, what's your starting point of knowledge on Salazar, Matt? Well, we've, we've interviewed um, Merlin um, Mar Johnson, who, who's uh, involved, involved there on some operations basis and I think um, business development side so you know we, we, we've, we've we know we know more than more than uh, I think most people in in that it we, we like the business model I have to say so you know the, the, the smart bunch of guys there's a Freddie Salazar senior and and junior who have been in country geos working at you know highest level um, with some of the majors there, and they they, they know they know where the, where the gold is buried, as it were. Um, and we were particularly taken by the business model of their with their format, which kind of allows them to have some kind of revenue um, to pay for their own development. So it's 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 a it's a small but sensibly built out project we we think with a huge amount of local uh, knowledge in a jurisdiction which the majors are all clamoring to get into so that's what sort of attracted us and i mean we haven't done too much more than that but we are going to be speaking with merlin i think over the next couple of days to sort of get a get a get a catch up and see if they're at, he's actually been able to do any of the things he told us he was going to so but what, what about you how, how long have you been um involved uh, so briefly, um, there was a bright young 30 something year old Canadian ex banker who I had worked with previously walked into my office in November of 17 on Piccadilly, listening to the crazy Fort Mason clock chimes, um, came in late on a Friday afternoon, about four o'clock. He was working hard. That was good to see. That's a good sign. Um, taking a late afternoon Friday meeting when others might be in the pub. Um, and he started talking to me about this remarkable law body in Ecuador that he had an interest in through his TSX company. Um, and the grades caught my eye. It was, there was an 11 million ton resource at 4.9% copper equivalent, copper and gold ore body. Um, it was on surface um, and had some spectacular drill holes that were, um, it was clearly going to be a mine. Um, so we had the key ingredient of, uh, of an asset. It, it was a, I could see that was a small to medium-sized asset, but clearly economic at those grades. Uh, I was hearing it from somebody who um, I knew was smart and hardworking. And I said to him, I said, so you told me about this ore body, Kodipamba, um, and you said that you're owning 75% of it. But what about the other 25? Who owns that? And he said, oh, it's owned by the Salazar family in Ecuador. And I said, oh, okay, so what? It's, it's owned privately. It's not, it's not a listed company. So he said, no, it's listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange. And so there and then I asked him if he knew where I could buy some shares. And we, um, we then spent two years accumulating a position um, uh, amongst ourselves, friends and family of some 20% of the company. And what we liked about Salazar was firstly, Freddie Salazar, as you mentioned. Freddie's a 60-year-old guy. In fact, he just turned 60 in the last year. Um, he speaks not very good English, which is part of the opportunity. He does have a, um, a very well and partly London educated 
uh, English, good English-speaking son, Freddie Jr. Freddie's been responsible for or played a role in half a dozen significant discoveries in Ecuador. The most famous one uh, would be Fruta del Norte, which is a, an 8 million ounce 10-gram uh, gold ore body, which has just turned into a mine. It's um, been built by, and is run by, subject to Corona, the Lundin family and Lundin Gold. Newcrest and BHP are all major shareholders in the company. Um, sorry, I'm getting confused. Newcrest is a major shareholder. Newcrest and BHP are major shareholders in Solgold, which is another Ecuadorian explorer. Um, so Freddie's been involved in half a, dozen, half a dozen discoveries. That is the single most important and valuable part of, uh, of Salazar. They have a team of 15 geologists. Freddie's been doing it all his life. And Ecuador itself is a dripping proverbial roast of... Uh, partly an undiscovered uh, ore bodies, particularly gold and copper or copper and gold. Um, this is, after all, the Andes, the Andes being home to 40% of the world's production, all out of Chile and Peru in that order, and very little until just very recently there's been a new Chinese copper mine turned on in Ecuador in the last few months. The gold mine, as mentioned, turned on, although recently off because of corona. Um, so we think, we went down there, we we you know, Merlin, you mentioned, is a, is a friend um, and a great geologist. We went down there and had a look, and um, I'm not a geologist, but took two geologists, including, including Merlin, with me. And uh, what we saw from a geological perspective was about as good as it gets in terms of prospectivity. So that's Salazar. Um, that the last thing to mention there might be that apart from having a great geological team, management owned over 20% of the company, um, and have a proven track record for finding all bodies um, in a remarkable, in fact, we think possibly the best, most prospective country in the world for finding new all bodies. That's why the world's mining industry is there. Uh, we also had a great valuation and a, and a low-cost business model whereby their partner, which is another small TSX company called Aventus, pays most of the bills, um, plus pays Salazar and management fees. So they can run with very, very low administration and running costs um, and have lots of lottery tickets in finding serious billion-dollar ore bodies, uh, of which they'll be drilling, uh, I believe, three or four of them this year. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, I, like I said, we've spoken to Marlon a couple of times because um, he, he's you know, also involved with Global Atomic, which is a uranium player with assets in Niger. They've also got a bit of zinc in Turkey. Um, Smart guy, for sure. Very smart guy. Um, do you, I mean, I, I always got to ask the question with regards to these sort of, you know, these uh, greenfield sites, you know. Um, Ecuador is, is relatively early. I mean, are you worried at all about the country's attitude to to mining or miners, miners going to have any problems in the country? I was the only, the only area we kind of didn't really cover but you know we got, we got some degree of comfort from the fact that the lots of the, the big boys were you know in there um but you know it's, it's it's a i think an area that most people should should look at you know how amenable um is the country to mining what is the mining rule of law is you know um when things go wrong you know is is there a legal process um, or if you're, you know, applying for permits and licenses, can you get them without waiting? You know, do you know much about that side of things? Uh, a little bit, yeah. I, I certainly, 
I think in every country, including the world's best and most loved mining jurisdictions like Australia and Canada, you have to have rule of law and you have to have uh, social license or buy-in from the local communities uh, in whose backyard you want to be looking for and potentially mining minerals. So in Ecuador, that's been tested a lot in the last two years. Um, Ecuador, apart from being geologically as one of the most endowed countries in the world is also the most biodiverse country in the world. And when you go there, Matt, which I recommend you do, I was going in a couple of months with my lovely wife for a Galapagos cruise, but Corona shut that down. Um, when you go there, you'll, you'll see the reason it's so biologically diverse is you've got the Andes running north, south up the length of it, and it starts on the coast and it quickly goes up into the mountains. So you've got a lot of, a lot of different top topography and geological diversity, geographical diversity is what I meant to say. Um, the indigenous communities are there. They're quite spread. There's about 17 million people throughout the country. It's only a small country um, as compared to other larger ones that we might be more familiar with, like Australia and Canada. Um, but the communities are well spread throughout. There's, there is some knowledge of mining as an artisanal mining culture, but there until last year, and I'm, I mentioned the, the Fruit of Del Norte gold mine, which Lundin put into operation very successfully. Until last year, there was no examples of modern mines. And there's this confusing interaction between the artisanals and the indigenous populations, and the artisanals often masquerading uh, as indigenous populations with indigenous um, anti-mining agendas, where they're actually attempting to stop modern mines coming in and cleaning it up, um, as in doing mining the right way where you actually make the environment a better place by cleaning up messy artisanal uh, mine sites. Mm. Um, so importantly, last year, the Ecuadorian Constitutional Court heard applications from what were effectively political actors. They weren't indigenous actors. They were politicians whose platform was, was anti-mining. And the Constitutional Court um, went back to the Ecuadorian constitution and, and observed that what's good for the broader 17 million Ecuadorian people is good for the country and that therefore licenses issued to mining companies in Quito, the capital, um, are good and can't be vetoed by local indigenous groups, which was the application that was being made. So that was tested more than once last year. Um, so you've got buy-in from the government. By the way, the government needs the US dollars. You might have noticed that the Ecuadorian bonds in the last few weeks have traded off to a 40% yield for zero. Um, they're waiting to have a $4 billion IMF loan dispersed. Um, and because it's a dollarized economy, the only way that they can fill their deficit is not by currency depreciation, but by digging up US dollars, either out of the ground as, as copper or gold, for example, or, uh, or pumping oil. And the oil industry is quite mature. Um, so, um, so they've decided that mining is the answer to their, their missing growth and balancing their economy. Um, but certainly it's really important that you have local indigenous buy-in and, um, that's actually, there's two really good things about Freddie Salazar to return to Salazar. One is that he's really good at finding all bodies and he's found half a dozen of them. And the second thing is that his passion, his personal passion is actually working with those communities. Um, and we think that he's, he's the right tour guide. He's the partner because he can manage those local indigenous issues much better than, of course, a, a foreign mining company can. Okay, thank, thanks for that.
I mean, I'll, I'll uh, quiz Merlin about that when I speak to him. Um, let's say he was one of those small, you know, there's, there's so many small gold exploration companies. I mean, they're, they're everywhere, right? You know, gold's the commodity that's most easily understood. There's lots of you know, peer data so you can, you can sort of work out what the risks are and the, and the returns are. But they're all saying the same thing. And I think this one just stood out for me. It wasn't a case of we're going to go drill holes and it'll be okay. It, there was a sort of robustness to the to the plan, and you know a lot of the companies we don't have that. And um, so yeah, it was, it was just worth noting. But um, and so, how long have you been in that? Uh, well, we uh, I first heard the story from the aforementioned Canadian banker uh, there in that first meeting. To your point about Red Cloud. Chad Williams, you normally can tell in the first 10 or 20 minutes of meeting somebody. Yeah. Um, I'm not, not going to say 15 seconds, but you normally can tell if they've ticked all the boxes very quickly. So I actually started trying to buy shares when I had first met the, rel the related company, not Salazar itself, mm. um, in November of 17. Um, so we've been involved since then. So I guess that's two and a bit years. We've been down there once. We are planning to go down there again and go and... Um, uh, stay connected to the Salazars, all of to meet all the local government ministers, see how they've changed, um, and to go and look at the rocks, most importantly, and understand where the next big one's coming from. Um, and we're not the only ones. Um, the Australians actually have led the charge down there, BHP, Newcrest, uh, Hancock, Fortescue. Um, they're all active down there. And um, we, um, we bought ourselves in a... Our friends and family, about 20% of the company, um, unlike most other junior mining companies, you, you made the point there's lots of them. Mm -hmm. This one doesn't issue shares very, very, very often, and that's because the Salazar family own about 20% of it, and they think as shareholders first and as management uh, enriching themselves with salaries second. Uh, and the company doesn't need a lot of money. Its GNA is surprisingly low. I think it's about $2 million a year, and they have partners whereby they bring the Excelazar brings the expertise and then they invite other people to come in and drill holes and take a free carry, which is what they've done with this, um, this other little Canadian company that I, uh, I mentioned earlier called Aventus. So um, uh, we've been involved about for two and a bit years, but um, as long as Freddie keeps um, doing the right thing, then we're here for the big one. We're here for the billion dollar discovery um, to finding the next uh, Cascabel or, um, or Fruita del Norte, and we think this is the best card to do that. Right, well, that's, that's uh, high hopes indeed. Um, I, you know, I hope that, hope that is the, the case. Um, um, Simon, I've taken up enough of your time today. I've, I've interrupted your dog walk. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I'm going to go back and cut my uh, my two-year-old, six-month-old, loose on the uh, on the lawns here. So, but yeah. Matt, it's been a pleasure. Let's do it again sometime. Definitely, definitely. That was that was fascinating. Um, and I do appreciate the insight into the world of you know, institutional investing, thinking, etc. I think it's not something that you know our followers you know get to see too much. Certainly not in that level of detail. We kind of get these sort of um, quite sort of cursory sound bites, which you know don't necessarily mean too much, and they're more for headlines than anything. So. Yeah, if, you, if you're up for it, we would love to talk to you about a few other topics. You know, uranium. Um, what's a bit of technology? I heard, I heard, sure. I heard electric scooters in there too. So uh, that might be fascinating. Huh. <laughs> for sure. Well, enjoy the weekend. What are you up to? 
Uh, well, mate, my, my, uh, I was going to be hanging out with my teenage kids. My ex, ex-wife decided that I had to self-isolate because I've been in this big, dirty city called London yeah. last week. So, um, but we are going to be foraging for nettles, of course, um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, cruising around Surrey, um, but not too much. How about you? You know, pretty much the same. Um, we, we've had to order in lots of games for the kids. Well, and yes. for our own sanity, because uh, heaven forbid we talk to each other. <laughs> it's reached that stage where sort of, um, if you blink the wrong way, I think people are looking at you and this household is a little bit tense. <laughs> <laughs> we are, um, I think we're going to sort the attic out, but you know, a bit of um, admin. Um, I've got my B, B maintenance. Beekeeping, keeping me uh, busy. Yeah, you know, you you work out ways to structure your day. Um, you you love your wife and kids and family, but you also work out that there's a certain amount of time that you can all spend in one small space in any given yeah. day. And so you structure your day to make yeah. sure that everybody gets a bit of time and space, a bit of isolation. It's li- literally a rotor. Literally, <laughs> could you please rotate around each other? Like celestial beings, uh, yes. So yeah, I, I guess we're we're all trying to find different ways to pass the time. It's you know, in a funny way, it's it's kind of, kind of interesting. We're having to sort of get back to basics in in many many ways, and I think you know, perhaps society will benefit from this. Be a little bit more social. Have you? I tell you, an interesting one. Have you seen this app? It's called Party House. Oh, I have. Yeah, or House Party. Yeah. House party. That's it. That's it. I sound old already. Don't I? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, you messed house that up. House party. House party. That's it. And they said so that my my wife and her friends are on it like excited teenagers each each evening, talking about their day's events. So, um, I, I well, I can only say that I've heard of it. I haven't actually plugged in yet. Now that you've mentioned, it, I think I'm going to go and download that app and check it out. I'll do that. There we go. If if only we were on commission, that'd be brilliant. Yeah. We're not going to the pub, so we're going to have to do something. Indeed, indeed. Simon, thanks so much. Have a wonderful weekend. Enjoy the sunshine. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.